Hi, it's Dwyer, gamblersadvisory.com, a free site. Bettingangle.us, a free site. Today is Sunday, June 27th, 2021. Let's talk about Gervonta Davis picking up a share of the 140-pound title yesterday over Mario Barrios. But remember, the opinion you should follow should be your own. Just consider this video to be a second opinion from a complete stranger online. Now let me just say, somebody here, as things shake out at 135 and 140 pounds, is going to get awfully rich. Right? Awfully rich. Let me just say this, and I don't say it lightly. The big shock for me, and it was a shock, was that like Mike Tyson, like Manny Pacquiao, like Canelo, Gravante Davis is better against taller and bigger competition. Folks, taller fighters, especially a guy like Mario Barrios, who's right-handed, right? Davis is a southpaw. Can't find Davis's body. Understand, searching for Davis's body carries huge risk because Davis, even 10 pounds heavier than he was for the Leo Santa Cruz fight, is a huge puncher. Right? We saw Canelo's punch carry to the light heavyweight division. Gervonta Davis's punch has carried to the super lightweight division. Let me also say, too, that he has ring coverage when he's fighting a tall guy like Mario Barrios, who leans over the pocket, whose center of gravity has him bending over to fight a smaller opponent, not leaning backwards and hiding behind a jab. Davis can feast, and I mean feast, on that taller man's ribcage. Also, Davis's punches are hard to read. So as Davis comes forward with a hook, a left hook, his left hand is special, if he hits a taller man in the head, you see it. In other words, a guy his height who isn't bending over is not going to have his head snap back. Like Mario Barrios's head snap back. Like any taller man's head's going to snap back when that taller man is leaning forward. Let me also say, too, that there's a David and Goliath dynamic, just like there is in Canelo fights. And it's extraordinary. Right? Davis was the puncher in this fight. But yet we look at Davis against a taller man and we start rooting for him as if he's the underdog. So let me say this. This is really a tale of two fights. The first third of the fight Barrios comes out and he's landing a jab and he's keeping Davis outside of the pocket. Now let's freeze it right here. 
what I want people to do is to think about the Southpaws with great boxing skills around the 135 and 140 pound weight class who can keep you outside with a jab and who have above average defense. In other words, guys with back foot games who don't necessarily have to enter the pocket to land shots and who aren't righties because the problem is that left jab doesn't line up with Gervonta Davis's left hand. What we want are southpaws so that right jab lines up with Davis's left hand. So if the guy is skillful enough as a jabber combining movement, he can keep Davis outside. Right, what Mario Barrios needed to do was to keep Davis away from him, not have Davis in the pocket with him. That's a recipe for disaster. Not reach for Davis. Not reach with the jab. He needed to make this fight low volume, keep Davis outside. Then when Davis crashes the pocket, either be able to, and this takes work, clinch him or be able to move away from him. Well, there are two guys in that area who are southpaws with great jabs, who have the ability to stay outside the entire fight. Now, one of them the guy who has the rest of the belts at 140, right? The undisputed at 140, if you're counting major belts, is Josh Taylor. And Taylor has the height. Taylor's 5'9", 5 5'10". 5 Gravante Davis is 5'5 five, five and a half. Taylor has the height. And he has the back foot. And when Taylor wants, he can lean back. In other words take his head out the picture. When Davis lunges at you, make sure he can only lunge at your body. That makes defense a lot easier. The problem with Taylor is Taylor who can box. He has the skill set. Look at the last few rounds of the Ramirez fight. I thought the scoring in that fight was a farce. Davis, excuse me, Taylor's up Taylor decides he's going to play it safe. You'll actually see in those last couple of rounds, Taylor on his back foot leaning back, dancing around, dancing away, could still move his legs late in that fight. The problem with Taylor is that's not how he sees himself. If Taylor gets caught in the ring with the guy who's daring him to trade. Taylor's going to try to trade with that guy. Right? Taylor's also a deer devil. Ramirez, in his fight, the first knockdown, jumps in the pocket. Taylor sticks around the pocket. First off, Taylor's over by the ropes. Taylor sticks around the pocket to throw the left counter. That drops Ramirez. 
Now, risk-taking works at times. Let's just say the risk is amplified when you're facing a puncher on the level of Gervonta Davis. Right, the other southpaw and styles make fights. I understand this guy's been fighting at 130 and stuff like that, but styles make fights. This guy is great at long range. Right, I get the feeling this guy doesn't really want to be deep in the pocket with you, but at long range, he can dictate the pacing of the fight and he's a southpaw. Doesn't have a lot of power, but that's okay. Because a win's a win. If he goes the distance against Gervonta Davis, moves enough and lands enough of his great right jab, I believe Southpaw Shakur Stevenson has a chance on Davis. Right? Understand, Davis right now has many roads. Let's talk about another guy. This guy's an orthodox fighter. But this guy moves extremely well and knows how to move, knows how to twist his body as he moves. Right? Like Shakur Stevenson, doesn't have a big punch. But I get the feeling it wouldn't be about the punches. It would be about dictating the fight through movement. And that's 135-pound champion Devin Haney. Right? Understand. Against 5'5 five, five and a half Gravante Davis, it's simply too high risk to stay in the pocket. So let's talk about Teofimo Lopez. Now, I personally thought Leo Santa Cruz was outboxing Gravante Davis before Davis, of course, ends that fight on an uppercut, right? In boxing, you can be outboxed and win the fight by KO. I believe Teofimo Lopez is a better boxer, certainly more two-handed than Davis, who, I'll acknowledge, gets the first knockdown in this fight off a right hand, right? I'll acknowledge that. But Teofimo Lopez is the better boxer, He's really gifted on his front foot coming forward and boxing you. Here's the problem. I think both Davis and Teofimo don't want to be on their back feet. I believe both guys would have problems if forced onto their back foot. Right? I know Davis at times has his back up against the ropes against Barrios. Right? Barrios, in my opinion, is not Teofimo Lopez. Right? The person who gets forced onto their back foot in a Davis Lopez fight would be the person who loses that fight. I think style wise, that's a tough matchup for both men. I would bet distance in that fight, right? My argument would be that somebody's going to get stopped, right? Lopez and Davis hit too hard and want control of the pocket too much, in my opinion, for that fight to go the distance. 
Now here's how I think things play out. I like Lopez in his next fight. Then, I was hearing during the Nakatani-Lomachenko fight. Lomachenko's another possible opponent for Davis. And this might shock some people. Loma, who has the legs to stay outside. He has the legs to stay outside. Of all the fighters I named, Loma might be the best equipped to get Davis on his back foot. Right? Understand, Loma's not tall. Like Josh Taylor, for example. Right? Loma's a shorter fighter. So Loma, in moving around, would be hard for Davis to find. Loma's sudden in terms of getting inside. I don't know what happened when he fought Teofimo Lopez. I was surprised that Loma didn't try to get Lopez on his back foot earlier. But what I want to encourage people to do is to look at the last few rounds of that Lomachenko-Lopez fight, knowing that Loma had a bad shoulder, you're going to notice Loma forces Lopez onto his back foot. Loma's best rounds in that fight are the later rounds. Understand how Loma beat Nakatani. Believe it or not, it was on the inside. <laughs> I know, boxing's crazy. Right? The first knockdown was a little bit bogus. Right? They're kind of clinched up. Loma's moving his hands. Nakatani loses balance, hits the canvas. But by the time of the last knockdown, Nakatani was finished. Nakatani didn't have the inside game to stop Loma from crashing the pocket. Loma actually does better against Nakatani than Teofimo Lopez did. So, during the Nakatani telecast, they tell you that Teofimo's father wants Teofimo to give Loma a rematch after his next fight against, I believe it's George Cambrosis. Right? That might tie up Teofimo Lopez, who then wants to go to 140 pounds. But make no mistake, Tank Davis, who now has a belt at 140, is going to be difficult for most of the guys in the area code. The fight style that beats him, in my opinion, today, of a boxer today, the fight style he would have the biggest problem with is 154-pound champion Jermel Charlo. I know Charlo's not going to fight him, right? But Charlo is episodic, right? Another guy, Demetrius Andre. These are episodic fighters who don't allow a pocket to form for more than, let's say, 10 seconds at a time. And both guys carry punches, right? So both guys are outside, then they jump in. Then they're throwing big shots with both hands. Then they jump back out. 
I believe Gavante Davis needs a pocket to operate. He doesn't have the legs of a Jamel Charlo or a Demetrius Andre, one of the champs at 160. Right, but let's just say that kind of ambush fighter right now doesn't exist, in my opinion, at 135 or 140. Right, you either have guys who like to stay outside with a lot of movement. Devin Haney, who doesn't have a big punch. Right, or you have guys like Teofimo Lopez, who want to control the pocket themselves. You don't have these ambush guys who are going to say, hey, look, player, if you need a pocket, you're in trouble. I'm going to be jumping outside for most of the round, and as you come try to find me, I'm going to jump in the window and rough you up, then jump back out the window before you can do anything about it. So, let's just say, Davis, who looks like he has more stamina, who looks like his punch is even bigger at 140 pounds, who already has won titles in three different weight classes, has a lot of money on the table, has a lot of options on the table. Let me name another person who I think would give him problems. And that's Terrence Crawford, right? Understand, Crawford can change the angles. I'm here talking righty or lefty. Terrence Crawford is both. Also, Crawford is that rear fighter who, if he wants to arm wrestle with you over who owns the pocket, can do so. If he wants to be an ambush fighter, can do so. But Crawford's up at 147. I will say this. Looking at some of these Showtime promotional videos that they had before this fight, here was Davis moving up 10 pounds in weight. But yet, in the training sessions I saw, he was clearly wearing a lot of clothes trying to lose weight. If Davis decides he wants to go to 147, right? I think he has some interesting challenges there, right? I wonder what happens. And I understand this guy might leave 147 soon. But I do wonder what happens if Davis is in the ring with Errol Spence. Now, Spence has an excellent jab. Spence could go on his back foot and could try to treat Davis like Mikey Garcia. Right? That's a possibility. But understand, even Errol Spence, who's a great short-range hooker, might have to concede the pocket to Gervonta Davis. Let's also remember, too, that an argument can be made that one of Spence's toughest fights was his fight against Sean Porter. Right? A shorter guy who can get underneath Spence can bother Spence. Let's also say, too, he fights Manny Pacquiao. 
Now, I happen to believe Pacquiao's about to beat Errol Spence. Right? I, you know, it's not just that Pacquiao's going to be competitive. I'm expecting Pacquiao to beat Errol Spence, in part because Pacquiao's a southpaw. The difference between Pacquiao and Davis is Pacquiao has legs. And Pacquiao has even more ring coverage. In other words, Davis likes to rely on left hooks. Manny Pacquiao is relying on sudden straight lefts. And Pacquiao has a decided hand speed advantage. Right? The problem, of course, is Pacquiao 42 years old. Right? So there again, let's just say Gervonta Davis, and I know he just got to 140. But if he wants to challenge himself, as some fighters have in history, Henry Armstrong, for example, when there were far fewer weight classes, I could see Gervonta Davis giving some guys at 147 problems. Right? A fight against Terrence Crawford would be fascinating, folks. Right? I, I would pick Crawford. This is one man's opinion. I would pick Crawford over Errol Spence. I would pick Pacquiao over Crawford simply because Pacquiao's too fast. But I'll concede. Right? I'll concede that Pacquiao would have a problem figuring out what he's dealing with against an ambidextrous Terrence Crawford. Well, into that mix, here's a serious challenger for the whole thing. I don't mean individual belts. I'm talking about boxing fans looking at a weight range and just saying, okay, if it's in the 160s, I like Canelo, right? That's where we are in boxing, right? That's where we are in boxing. Now, maybe the fighter can deliver, maybe he can't, but that's the way you view it, right? Gervonta Davis is a serious threat to the 135-140 area code, right? I think he'd be a serious threat to Teofimo Lopez, very few are. I think it'd be a serious threat to Lomachenko, right? Let's just say there's a lot of money to be made now at 135, 140, and 147. That's how I see it. Let me hear from you. I hope you leave your comments in the comment section of this video. Let me also say this too. Um, after the first knockdown, Right? Uh, Barrios is struggling. Barrios gets knocked down a second time. Well, I'll give Barrios credit. Barrios has a poker face, but you knew he was badly hurt. You know, the last knockdown, you saw why Barrios lost this fight. Right? I want people to think about Vitaly Klitschko. If he were fighting a tough guy like you know, a Mike Tyson, right? Lennox Lewis, another guy, um, against uh, David Tua, who was a force at the time, right? You know, when you're the taller guy, you really have to know how to use reach. You have to know how to either keep the opponent away from you 
set the fight up where the opponent's walking into jabs, where you're not there to get hit with the guy's big punches. Or you need to be able to do what Vladimir Klitschko did to Alexander Povetkin. You need to just be able to come in and lean on the guy and clinch him in such a way that the guy can't hurt you. Now, I know, I know, Barrios got dropped earlier in the fight off the right hand. But you know Gervonta Davis's bread and butter is his left, just like you know Manny Pacquiao's bread and butter is his left. You know Davis is a southpaw. Right? You know that. Somebody in the comment section here explained to me why Mario Barrios was so tethered to the pocket that Davis is able to come in for that last knockdown and hit him in the ribs. Right? If you look at the sequence, Barrios wants to fight in the pocket. Why would he? Right? If he had a more mobile center of gravity, he would have done what a Vitaly Klitschko would have done. What an Ali would have done. Right? Prime prime Ali, 60s Ali. Right? He would have fired off jabs. He's fighting a guy who's several inches shorter than him. No, he allows Gervonta Davis to be Joe Fraser to crash the pocket. Right? Just understand, taller guys who need to have a pocket form against Gervonta Davis are at risk, especially when they're right-handed and can't tie up Davis. That's how I see it. Let me hear from you. I look forward to your comments. Thanks for stopping by.